downstairs. Um, good morning once again. Welcome to Christian Fellowship again. Thank you all for being here with us this morning. Uh, as we begin, um, and as uh, the little ones are heading upstairs, I do want to take a minute and thank everybody, especially um, the people running out right now that are involved in our children's ministry. Uh, they work tirelessly, and they put a lot of time and energy into loving um, the kids of this church and to supporting and teaching them about what it, who God is and um, teaching them about Christ and, and just loving the children of this church, as well as serving on Sunday mornings. Um, they go upstairs, and they don't get to hear the sermon. They don't get to be part of a lot of what we do down here because they're serving uh, each other. They're serving the parents of this church. So if you are part of the children's ministry at all, most of them have just run upstairs, uh, thank you for being part of that ministry. If that's something that appeals to you, if something that says, hey, you know what, I can give up one Sunday a month, two Sundays a month to go and serve the kids and, and serve the parents of those kids by going up, um, please, on those Connect cards, fill them. There's a, there's a spot on the back that says children's ministry. Go ahead and circle that. Drop it in the offering plate later and we will follow up with you about that. Um, one note about children's ministry, obviously we care about our kids and we want to protect them, and so you will have to go through a background check and jump a few hurdles uh, to get to be part of that ministry, but it is totally worth it because the kids of this church are awesome. So um, thank you to everybody involved with children's ministry and for those of you who are going to be involved soon. Um, this morning we are going to be continuing our series that we began last week, um, where's the Joy? A study in the book of Philippians. So last week we started uh, looking at this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in jail. He was in jail in Rome um, under house arrest, shackled to a guard 24-7, and he wrote a letter to this church in the city of Philippi um, telling them how he was, telling them what he was going through, encouraging them, showing them how much he cared for them. Last week we talked about his affection for them, his, um, his hope for them, his remembrance of them, and how all of when he thought of the church in Philippi, he was filled with joy. He was filled with excitement for what they were doing. And so we're going to continue with Philippians this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Philippians 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you. And if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and take that. That is our gift to you. Um, and so today we are going to get an insight into what motivated Paul. We're going to see this morning what got him up in the morning, what got him excited. And it was that it was his desire to see the gospel advanced, to see as many people as possible come to know Christ. That was the thing that drove Paul. That was the thing that got him out of bed in the morning and he was excited about, was to see as many people come to know Christ as possible. And so we're going to pick it up in uh, Philippians 1, verse 12. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in um, to the passage. So will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, with, with just words, you spoke and creation happened. And when you spoke and when creation happened, it wasn't chaos, it wasn't confusion, it was pure, and it was orderly, and it was perfect, and it was detailed. Everywhere we look, we see a glimpse of you. We see your hand at work. You give us these reminders of your power and your authority and your goodness. God, we have gathered here this morning together to worship you, to praise you, to bring glory and honor to you, to learn from you, to learn more about you, to be challenged by you, to be encouraged by you. God, today is all about you. This is your day. And God, there is none like you. As we study this morning, you have things you want to accomplish here. You have things you want us to learn here from this letter. So God, help me to get out of the way. Remove any distractions that might be keeping someone from hearing the message that you have for them this morning, Lord. 
And as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in Philippians 1, picking, starting at uh, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's stop right there. So Paul here is, he's just got done talking about how much he cares for the church in Philippi. And now he wants to give them a little bit of understanding of what he's going through and, and how he is. He wants to let them know he's okay. And he wants to let them know that the time he is spending is time well spent. See, sometimes God does things in our lives that we don't necessarily understand. We don't necessarily understand why he's doing it or what he is doing. But in those times, usually it's actually not even about us. You see, God will go to whatever lengths he deems necessary so that others can have a chance to hear the gospel. And that's what he's doing with Paul. You see, the gospel has been advanced during this time. During this time, while Paul is in lockdown, while Paul is in house arrest, he writes this letter to the Philippians, but he also writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. He also writes a, church, uh, a letter to the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians. You see, this time that Paul was spent shackled to a guard, thousands of years later, Paul's desire to advance the gospel is still having an effect on the world today. And not only that, not only did he write these letters, not only did he give the chance to encourage these churches, train up these churches, and vicariously us, but the Romans, the guards that he was shackled to, have now heard the gospel. He says it is known throughout the entire guard, the entire imperial guard, all of, the, all of the bigwigs, they know why I'm here. They have heard the gospel. Like I said, Paul was shackled to someone pretty much 24 hours a day. And they weren't the prisoners, he was, so they got to train ships. So every time somebody new came, that's a new person Paul got to share the gospel with. That's a new person Paul got to tell about the, the saving work of Jesus Christ. Would they have heard the gospel otherwise? I don't know. Maybe. Did any of them become Christians? Hopefully. We don't know. But what we do know is that Paul was able to make it clear to the guards, clear to anyone who would listen, that he was in jail because of his desire to see the gospel go forward. And so Paul saw this time as a great win for his cause, saw a great, as a great win for his desire. Ultimately, Paul thought if he could get the gospel to Caesar, if he could go toe-to-toe, if he could stand before Caesar, the, the most, empower, most powerful, important guy in the land, if he could tell the gospel to Caesar, if he could see Caesar become a Christian, then oh, how Christianity would spread. Christianity would become the religion of the land. People would be saved by the thousands, and it would spread beyond Rome. Paul's whole mission, if you look at the book of Acts, especially the second half of the book of Acts, he is focused on, i got to get to Rome. I have to see Caesar. It's part of why he's in house arrest, because he has taken up the fact that there's a clause, because he was a Roman citizen, where if he was under arrest, he could have his case heard by Caesar. It was a benefit of being a Roman citizen. And he takes that and he says, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to have my case heard before Caesar. And so he's waiting it out, waiting for a time where he can do that. Paul's goal here is to have Caesar hear the gospel. But in the meantime, the guards will do 
the cooks will do, whatever servants were around, whoever he could tell the gospel to, he was going to. Paul understood that God was doing something in the midst of this situation. In the hard situations of our lives, in the hard times, in the messy times of our lives, it's helpful to ask two questions. What is God doing in this situation? And what is God trying to teach me in this situation? What is God doing? Is God doing something here that maybe has an effect on somebody else? Am I going through this for the benefit of someone else? And what is God trying to teach me through this? What is God trying to show me about myself? What is God trying to change in me? Because you see, God will never waste your time. He is always working. He is always doing something. It's just on us to be aware of that and to learn from it. We started this week, we started our, our two-year journey, our read-through-the-Bible journey, right? where we're going to start and we're going to spend the next two years every day reading two chapters of the Bible, and we're going to read through the Bible together. And so this week we started doing that, and we got in the middle of the week, we saw the story of Noah in Genesis. And God tells Noah to build this ark, to build this boat. You've got to figure, over the course of time that it took Noah and his family to build this boat, he had to feel like he was wasting time. He had to feel like, God, what are you possibly doing here? Because all he got was, build a boat. Build this giant ark, because I'm going to do something. Noah had to feel like, God, what, what are you doing? I'm, I'm giving all of my days, all of my resources, everything is going to building this ark. God, are you really sure this is what you want to do? Are you really sure you want me to do this? But we know, if you read through that or you know the story of Noah, that wasn't a waste of time. That through Noah, God blessed the world. God restarted things. God found Noah as righteous and started a new creation. Now let me encourage you before we go, if you haven't started in this two-year journey with us, if you haven't read through the Bible if last week, if you got away from you, it's okay, jump in this week. We're starting again tomorrow. Sundays we don't read, Monday through Saturday, two chapters a day. The reading schedule's in the back. Jump in, it's really good. I'm already super excited and we're only 12 chapters in. God is never going to waste your time. God is always doing work. He is always doing something. It's on us to be aware of what he is doing, to pay attention and to learn from the situations he puts us in. And you see, Paul says, not only the guards have heard the gospel, not only the guards know about what God has done here, but the gospel is going forward. Other people are being affected by what, I, what has happened to me. He says, others were made more bold to speak the word without fear. Others were encouraged and motivated to be bolder, even though Paul's story isn't a happy one. Paul says others in the, other Christians are now taking it upon themselves to share the gospel, have gotten a little stronger, a little more courage in them, even though it's being bold and strong and having courage that got Paul arrested. Paul's story isn't a really a happy one. It's not something that's real encouraging, and yet it's inspiring people to share the gospel that maybe wouldn't have before. This morning we heard a little bit from Jax um, about what he's going through, uh, what he's been going through for the last couple of months, and how God has moved and God has answered his prayers and God has um, provided for him in the last couple of months, and it's it's awesome, right? And those are usually the stories we hear in church, right? Those are usually the stories we share. Is I was in a mess, God pulled me out, Amen and Amen. And those are usually the stories that we share in church, and that's good, right? We need to hear those stories. 
We need to be reminded that God is good. We need to be reminded that God answers prayers. But at the same time, Sarah and I were having a conversation about this a couple weeks ago, that at the same time, we need to be willing to share and to hear about the journey people are going through as well. We need to be willing to share and to listen about the times where the situation doesn't have a happy ending on it yet. It's just people in the midst of trying to figure out what God is doing. See, I could have asked Jax at any point this summer, I could have said, Jax, I want you to share what you're going through now. Before he had the job, before he had the apartment, before he knew what was going to happen, I could have said, Jax, I just want you to share about what God is doing in your life right now. And what would have been beautiful about that is he would have gotten up here and he would have seen a young man come up and say, you know what, I have no idea what God's doing. I screwed up, things are chaotic, but I know God's in control. I know God is going to take care of me. And I know he would have shared that because he shared it with me and he shared it with anybody else that asked. He said, I don't know exactly what God's doing, but he's doing something and he's in control. The stories we share, the stories we tell, don't always have to be happy to inspire and encourage people. The more important point is that we let people in that we are willing to share our stories, that we are willing to share our lives, the good and the happy and the answered prayers and the dark and the messy and the chaotic and the sad. Because, see, when we do that, when we let people actually into our lives, we are giving people the opportunity to be the church. We are giving people the opportunity to serve and walk alongside us, to encourage us. The Apostle Peter talks about this uh, in a letter he wrote in 1 Peter 2.5. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. We, the people, are the church. We are the bricks that make up the spiritual building. Paul talks about this in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, where he talks about Christians as being members of the household of God. He says, built the, this household is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, if you wanted to construct a building, and you got all the materials, you got all the bricks, you got all the, the wood, everything that you need to make a building, and you just scattered everything out on the lot, right? You got to an empty lot, and you just scattered the bricks, you scatter all the resources onto the, onto the lot, and then you just said, building, done. You haven't made a building. You've made rubble and a mess. It's only once you start to lay brick on top of brick, that's when the building starts to take form. When the bricks are supporting one another, when they're strengthening one another, that's when the building starts to take shape. So if we are these living stones that Peter and Paul are talking about, if the Christians are the living stones that make up the church, if we are the bricks, we have to be willing to let others in our lives hear the stories, hear the mess of our lives, and support us one brick to another. We have to give them the opportunity to, wel to, to be welcomed into the mess of our lives and support us. Because you see, we already said, right, God doesn't waste our time. God will never waste our time. And so that means that the things you are going through, there's a reason for them. The things you are going through, there is a reason for them. And it's not only for you, but it's probably for somebody else too. Why withhold that from them? 
Why keep someone from the opportunity to serve and love you? Because this right here, church in community, this is where we get to practice in a safe environment how to serve and love people different than us, how to serve and love and walk alongside people who have come from a totally different background, who have a totally different experience. This is the place where we're supposed to be able to do that, where we're supposed to be able to come in, put, let our guards down, take off the mask, and say, you know what, I'm just hurting and it's chaotic and I don't know what's going on. This is the place we're supposed to be able to find healing and support and encouragement and practice doing that with each other. Are we perfect at it? No. But this is the place we practice. This is the place we train. Because if we can't do it here, if Christians can't do it among themselves, how in the world are we going to do it out there? But we have to be willing to let people in. Paul's situation wasn't a positive one. He was imprisoned with the potential of death looming over him. Yet because people knew what he was going through and why he was going through it, they were encouraged to be more bold about the gospel. And for Paul, that's all that mattered. You see, Paul had a tunnel vision for the gospel. He had a tunnel vision for wanting to see the gospel go forward. I'll show you what I mean. Pick it up, look at uh, verse 15 with me. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He said some are going to preach the gospel. There's going to be two groups of people who are preaching the gospel right now. Some of them are going to do it out of love. They're going to do it from goodwill. They, they do it because they love the gospel, because they love Christ, because they love Paul. Their motives were pure. And this is the place Paul talks about two different camps, right? He talks about those who preach from goodwill, those who preach from envy and, and jealousy. Between the two, obviously, we want to be in the pure section, right? We want people preaching the gospel out of good, positive reasons. You see, these people knew that Paul's calling in his life was to spread and defend the gospel. And so some of them took up that cause that Paul couldn't do out couldn't do while he was in prison. Paul couldn't go out and travel and preach and, and plant churches and, and check up on the churches he planted and, and travel around. He couldn't do those things because he was locked up. It's kind of like if you go into the forest and you see a big, massive oak tree, right? Giant trunk, huge branches, tons of leaves, just massive. And then one day you go back to that same, plot, same spot and you see that same oak tree, but now that oak tree's been cut down and it's just a stump. And now that whole situation is different, right? Light is coming in that maybe couldn't come in before. Rain is making its way in because there's no tree to block it. And then you go back again, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years later, and you start to see where there was once this giant oak tree blocking everything out. Now you've got three or four little trees popping up. You've got bushes and plants popping up because before where that oak tree was blocking the sun and blocking the rain, now it's getting through. Paul is in prison. Paul can't go out and do what he was called to do. And so others, for their love for the gospel, for their love for their friend Paul, went out and did the things Paul couldn't do. Out of love, they preached the gospel. They loved the gospel. They loved God. They wanted to see people's lives changed. And because of that, they wanted to share their experience with others. 
See, these people experienced the grace of God. They experienced the saving, new life-giving grace of the gospel and wanted to share it. But Paul also says not everybody's motives are as pure. He says some preach out of envy and rivalry. There were some who were jealous of the crowds that Paul could draw. They were jealous of the respect and the adoration he got. They were envious of his authority. And so some started preaching the gospel to try and do it better than Paul, to try and gain some kind of celebrity, some kind of following. They wanted to be the rock star preacher. And now, since Paul is in prison, now they have the chance to become the popular preacher. They have the chance to advance, they have this advantage now because Paul can't leave his house. These people saw preaching as a competition. They saw church as a competition. They wanted to be better than anyone else. I am generally a pretty competitive person. Uh, I like to win games. Taylor's laughing because he's played board games with me. I like to win. If I'm going to play a game, I, I want to play to win. I don't really understand this whole participation trophy nonsense. That doesn't make sense to me. But this, this is not a competition. We have two great gospel-preaching, gospel-believing churches within just a few blocks of us in each direction. We live in a city with dozens and dozens of Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving churches. And I'm so thankful for that. I don't believe every church is for every person. And so if CF isn't quite the right fit for you, that's okay. I don't take that personally. My desire for you is that you are at a Bible-believing, Jesus-exalting, gospel-preaching church. That's all I want. Because like I said, church is not a competition. I refuse to see it that way, man. I love Addison Street Community Church. I love Pastor Will. And I love New Life Community Church. And I love Pastor Chad and their families. And I hope you do as well. I hope you pray for them. I hope you don't look at other churches as competition or the enemy, but rather as our brothers and sisters in Christ who you get to serve and fellowship with. Our competition is not other churches in the city. Our competition is the world, is the message of individualism, is the message of you go get yours. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't care about anybody else. You get yours. You fulfill your wants and your needs and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You take care of you. Our competition is all kinds of other things that say, you know what, universal truth, everybody's fine as long as no one steps on each other's toes. Paul says in Ephesians that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Our competition as Christians is not other Christians. Our competition is the darkness that the city is in. That's who we're wrestling against. That's who we're fighting against. That is who the enemy is. And yet there are some who see church, who see preaching as competition. They preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, Paul says. They wanted to do harm to Paul. See, ambition is not a bad thing. You should strive to be the best at what you do. You should have ambition to do your job well, to be the student to the best of your abilities, to be the best husband, the best wife, the best sibling, the best anything. Whatever you're doing, whatever your spot is, do that to the best of your abilities. 
in a way that brings glory and honor to God and not yourself. Who watched the Olympics this year? Anybody? Like, no, don't lie. I'm way more people watched it. <laughs> You're liars. I watched a bunch of it. I got hooked, especially this pastor schedule. I got to watch like daytime ping pong and like the horse dancing thing. It was, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's over because I lost some hours to, to that coverage. And maybe it's just because it's every four years and, and like I don't, I didn't really pay attention, but it seemed to me that a lot, not a lot, but there was a bunch of different Olympians that when they had their interview after they won, after they did well, there was a bunch of different Olympians who dropped Jesus as much as they possibly could. They said the name of Jesus and God and brought glory to God as much as they possibly could. There was the two guy divers, there was a bunch of swimmers, track and field, um, Almost every time I saw an interview, I felt like it, people were talking about bringing glory to God. They had this moment where they strove, they worked to be the very best in the world at what they did. And then in that moment, after they proved they were the best, or the second or third best, they had this moment, this interview, where they could have said, you know what, I'm awesome, I did all of the work, praise me and how much I worked. And instead, they took that opportunity and said, all glory to God. Jesus is the one who made me. My identity is in Christ, not in being a diver, and so I could just come out and do what I did because I know my identity is not wrapped up in this. See, that's ambition. Doing whatever it is that you're doing to the best of your ability, and then when you have the chance, bringing honor and glory to God. It becomes selfish ambition when you are more concerned with your own image when you are more concerned with your own power, your own reputation, when it's all about you and how great you are. These people Paul is talking about were not sincere in what they were doing. They didn't care about seeing lives change. They just wanted whatever they could do to get for themselves. They wanted the power and the authority and the reputation. And not only that, but they wanted to do harm to Paul. Like it wasn't bad enough. The dude's already in prison. They wanted to make it harder on him. They wanted his reputation to take a hit. They wanted to bring into question Paul's authority because, I mean, the guy's in prison. How good can he possibly be, right? It was their goal to make a big deal of themselves, to become popular. Not only did they want to win, but they wanted to make sure Paul lost. They were concerned with themselves, and that's it. And yet, in light of all of that, how does Paul respond to them? Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul says, I don't care what their motives are. I don't care what they're trying to do. Christ is being proclaimed. The gospel's being preached. These people were preaching the gospel. They were proclaiming that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, of the perfection required to enter into God's presence. They were preaching that Jesus came and lived a perfect life. That God in the flesh dwelt with his creation, Emmanuel. That he died, and in doing so, he experienced the full and complete wrath of God. That his death would act as a substitution for the penalty, for the death that we deserve to pay for our sin. They preached that Jesus rose from the dead and proved his power and authority over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And that our sins could be forgiven. And to anyone who believes that Christ did this work, that they would be saved from hell, that they would be saved from the wrath of God, and they would be counted as a child of God. They preached that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
They preach that salvation is a gift. They preach the gospel. And so Paul stuck chained up to a guard 24 hours a day. Paul stuck in prison. Paul stuck not being able to do what he wanted to do. Rejoiced because the gospel was going forward. He didn't care who was doing it or why they were doing it. He just cared that the gospel, the true, actual gospel of grace, was going forward. He rejoiced in that. See, Paul had a tunnel vision for the gospel. These were people who were flat-out enemies of Paul. And yet, because they preached truth, Paul rejoiced. How different is that from our world? We see churches and denominations fight and argue and shun each other, not because of the gospel of Jesus, but because of a worship style, or a leadership model, or a view on baptism. How different is that from what Paul felt? Paul rejoiced that the gospel was being preached, even if it was from a faulty or just plain wrong agenda. Paul knew it didn't matter who was preaching it or why. He knew that if the actual, true, real gospel message was being preached, lives were going to be changed. Because the gospel has power. The gospel brings hope to the hopeless. It brings life where there is death. It brings forgiveness where there is condemnation. Grace where there is despair. The gospel has the power to change lives. Because it teaches us that we are not the end-all, be-all. We are not the best thing going today. We are in desperate need of a Savior, of one who can come and fix what is so very clearly broken in our world. Jesus died on a cross, making it possible for you to have a new life. To not be defined by the sins you have, been, you have committed or the sins that have been committed against you. Jesus rose from the dead, making it possible for you to be dead to sin and alive in Christ. Paul knew this. Paul knew of the power. He experienced the power of the gospel, the grace of understanding what Christ had done for him. And so that's why he didn't care what people's motives were. I mean, yes, in an ideal world, everybody's motives are pure. But for Paul... For his tunnel vision of the gospel, it helped him realize as long as the true, actual gospel was going forward, motives didn't matter. Paul wanted Christ to be honored and glorified. That was his biggest and really his only concern. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Paul here says, this is going to work out because you're praying, because you're supporting me. This is going to work out, and I'm going to get delivered out of here. Paul believed he was going to get released from prison. He believed he was going to keep getting to do what he was called to do, preach the gospel, plant churches. Ultimately, his goal... His motivation, this thing driving him, was, you see it right there at the end, that Christ would be honored, whether by life or by death, that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be made much of. Paul was so focused on the gospel, so focused on making much of Christ, for him, as long as that happened, even it meant him dying, Paul was going to rejoice. 
He went so far as to say in verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does that even mean? If you want to find out, you've got to come back next week. Let me close with this. Paul's faith, Paul's hope, his faith and hope in God allowed him to be in a dark, tough, ugly situation and yet still rejoice, still find joy, and still see hope that God was going to do something, that the gospel was going forward. He knew that because of his story, because of his current situation, Others were encouraged. Others were inspired as well. And others had the opportunity to serve because of him. We need to be willing to let people into the mess of our lives. We need to be willing to let people in and know what's going on. Because you have no idea how your life, how your story can affect and change others. Paul was so focused on advancing the gospel, he was able to rejoice no matter why or who or how they were preaching. As long as the gospel went forward, he rejoiced. He rejoiced as a prisoner because the guards heard the gospel. He rejoiced because even out of envy and jealousy and corruption, the gospel was being preached. My prayer for you, my prayer for us is this, that we experience, firstly, that you experience the powerful work of the gospel for yourself. That if this morning, if you don't know this grace, if you haven't experienced this new life that Christ offers, that this morning is the day where you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, paying the penalty that you deserve to pay. And by having faith in that, the grace of God, you have been made a new creation. You have been made a son or daughter of God. And if that's old hat for you, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you know that, When's the last time you really rediscovered the gospel? I mean, really like thought and experience and had that moment where you remembered, man, I am a sinner and I am in desperate need of a Savior. When's the last time you experienced that powerful work of the gospel for yourself where you reminded yourself just how good God is? My prayer is that you know of the saving power and learn to love it. Love the gospel. Love the God who gives the gospel. Love the God who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And that through that love, you are motivated to learn more, to share more, to engage with God more. My prayer is that we are a people focused on and committed to seeing the gospel proclaimed and Jesus made much of. That we are the kind of people who love God and love people and love people so much that we tell them about this God that we love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Oh man, God. The way you work in our lives, the way you put things together, the way you are cultivating, the way you are connecting all of these pieces and all of these moments in our lives where we can't do anything else but just say, God, where are you? What are you doing? I don't understand. And yet you are putting this all together. God, we thank you for always having a plan, always being at work, always doing something. Lord, help us to learn. Help us to be quiet enough, even in the chaos of our lives. Help us to be quiet enough to ask the questions of, what are you doing, God? How are you trying, what are you trying to teach me? God, we thank you for people like Paul, 
who rejoice in the gospel, who have a tunnel vision for, a go- for the gospel. Lord, help us to have that same tunnel vision that we strive to see the gospel go forward. God, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. Thank you for the cross, for the, for the new life that it brings, the empty tomb that shows the power and authority of Jesus. Lord God, if anyone is here this morning who doesn't know you, who doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that today, that this is the day where they come to know you, that they come to become a child of you. God, as we continue to worship, Lord, let today, let, let us continue to bring praise and honor and glory to you because you deserve it. Just by being who you are, you deserve our honor and our praise and our glory. And so, God, we give you thanks. We give you all the things that you are worthy of. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you have done.